The Persistent and Nasty podcast is a series of interviews and informal discussions with inspiring women and other marginalised voices in theatre, film and beyond. From actors to activists, we aim to amplify these voices and invite the world to stay nasty. Persistent and Nasty Podcast has teamed up with We Edition to offer our listeners 25% off monthly subscription. Head over to We Edition and type in NASTY, all capital letters, 25 at checkout. I have said it before, I will say it again. We Edition really are the future of casting. And also you can make money while being a member on the site. You can um, be a scene partner for people and you can help with accents. You can just generally help each other out. And it's a really important thing for us to do, especially during these times and just a lovely way to have community. Our other offer for our listeners is still with Backstage. Backstage are offering our actors 12 months free subscription. You heard that right, 12 months free. If you follow the link in the description box for casting directors, you can post free castings when you type in persistent and nasty at checkout. Hello, you gorgeous lot, and welcome to another Persistent and Nasty podcast. It's Elaine here. How are you all doing? Well, I feel like I'm repeating myself from last week because I've got no idea what's going on. I don't know for tier five, tier one. Apparently, Scotland's going to have five tiers now. Can somebody explain this to me? What is the difference between tier three and tier five? Again, answers on a postcard. Super confused. I hope you're all staying well. I hope you're all looking after yourself. I hope you're all being kind to yourself and being kind to each other. Today's episode, all three of us are together with the extraordinary director, Debbie Hannon. Debbie is also the co-artistic director at uh, the Traverse Theatre in Edinburgh. This episode, honestly, I don't I, I don't have the words to sum it up for you. Um, it's brilliant. It's important. It's a uh, I cry. Shocker. Um, we laugh, we talk about uh, Debbie's beautiful aesthetic in her flat to bringing down white supremacy. So as you can tell, it is a very varied episode. As always, you can follow us on all social media. Twitter, at Persistent Nasty. Have you all noticed that I'm not hesitating as much when I do it? I'm very proud of myself. Instagram, at Persistent and Nasty. Facebook, Persistent and Nasty. Send us a wee email if you fancy a chat at persistentandnasty at gmail.com. Also, for those of you who have been asking, you can still um, donate and support us by using the PayPal link in the description of this episode. Um, it really does make a huge difference to us and we are super, super grateful for all of you who have supported us already. Please like, subscribe, share, download the podcast, leave a review. It really does make all the difference and helps um, us find our way into the right people's algorithms. Well, I believe that's how it works anyway. Um, before I give you my little uh, what you should drink for today's episode, just remember, guys, wear your masks, wash your hands and be kind to each other. It is the only way we are getting through this shit show. So for today's episode, I suggest... Maybe a glass of wine, a cocktail, Prosecco, champagne, 
why not? Life is too short. Have whatever you want. Glass of water, we drink a juice, uh, or a good old cup of tea. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. I'm loving the little green uh, chairs and little tea. It's just, I'm loving this aesthetic. I'm enjoying the aesthetic as well. Yeah. I love that kind of like little glimpse into people's homes. And obviously, like as a podcast, nobody can see how fucking cool Debbie's home is. I know. But it's a cool ass home. Yeah, it's real nice. Plants, yes. Organic here. flow, colour. She's not here. She doesn't know how much we're coming. I'm actually enjoying the colour of your, we're just discussing the aesthetic <laughs> of your flat, Debbie, and how much we love it. You know what, legit, it's because um, I meant to move to Edinburgh and then we had to move into this flat. Uh, so we've had a lot of time to think about where the plants go. <laughs> so it's been like, yeah, just a little plant here. Yeah. So when were you supposed to move up to Edinburgh? Um, so I was meant to come up um, second week of, oh no, two weeks after lockdown started. That's oh. it. Second week of lockdown. Um <laughs> And I was in the middle of directing a show in Wales at that point, uh, which then got cancelled on the dress rehearsal day. Um, oh. And then it became really clear that I wasn't going to be able to move. And then it became clear that I wasn't going to be able to start the job. Um, the job being courted director of the Traverse. Um, and so then, yeah, I just like, I had to sort out where the hell I was going to be because, you know, me and my partner had to take out another tenancy because we were expecting to like, moved to a different country <laughs> um and you know uh it was a quite a massive thing to have to then find somewhere else and move in the middle of a pandemic and then set up here so so yeah now it's actually been how long six million years of <laughs> think so lockdown <laughs> um but I'm still in London so it's been a really strange limbo because people think mm. I'm in Edinburgh they think I'm in role fully um they think I'm they thought in early pandemic that was incredibly busy managing a crisis when in fact I hadn't started um you're like yeah I'm really yeah. busy I'm super busy with this I'm crisis I'm doing so much work applying to the self-employed <laughs> support scheme mainly yeah. <laughs> like, super busy um so yeah it's been a strange very niche limbo problem uh which I'm aware is a kind of champagne problem in that people thought it was an AD and I wasn't but um but like I tried to sort of take this attitude to it where I was like the, the thing that exploded over lockdown as you I can only imagine are hyper aware is that all this all the existential questions about how how we operate why we operate I was suddenly really right sharp in the middle because I was existing as a freelancer potentially going into a sort of management role um even now I'm still in limbo and I'm trying to make the most of that moment of the in-between and go uh, you know I'm, I'm I can feel the sharp edge of both so what can I like bridge between the two what can I make better um and I'm from like a long family of union people <laughs> funnily enough um so yeah it's interesting to go what does it mean to be like a conduit to the management and mm. what does that mean to enter an institution like all of that is still so uh new to me and I'm so conscious of it all and more conscious than ever having taken like taken part in so much of the advocacy and ad activism over lockdown that still continues luckily yeah yeah absolutely and um, do you want to give our listeners a potted history of sure um so I'm of you. from <laughs> me oh god <laughs> pick a topic uh Very the Jacobite tough. rebellion yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my 
my god I, I was like what would my topic be but it'd be like drag race season one to five or something <laughs> it's the best the best, best. True, actually six is the best agreed we can end the podcast here that sounds we're done <laughs> and, <laughs> and we're finished um so I uh was born and grew up in Edinburgh um to uh like quite working class family who like weren't massively theatre goers um but I loved that one month of the year when the festival turned up and I thought in in my teenage brain I was like this is such a boring small town until half the world arrives here for a month and you can drink as late as you can and watch you know weird shows in cupboards and I thought that was brilliant so that was kind of my main exposure to theatre um as a kid with a bit of magic shows obsessed with circuses um gigs like music you know that that was all the life the stuff that I was like really connected to it wasn't particularly theatre um but big up state school education I had an amazing drama teacher who took us to like the Traverse when I was a teenager actually and I remember watching Slab Boys there um and yeah she was the one who was like you you should try directing um it's the it's the outside vision stuff that works for you um and I was like in a good way a very bossy teenager and um had a lot I love being an audience member that I think that's my first love is like watching something brilliant so to give that to other audience members was always the impulse um and so that's where that came from and then went to uni in Edinburgh because I had no idea how unis worked like I didn't know you were supposed to like try and move somewhere else and like get laid a lot and drink loads like I didn't know that I just was like no one in my family had been we just it was it was near I, could, I had no money so I had to stay at home I'll go to Edinburgh and I was like super academically like good you know in a, in a really boring way so I could get into a good uni went to Edinburgh um everyone was so posh it was terrifying I was 17 mm. I had a rough as fuck accent <laughs> <laughs> like it was not the one I did history of art because I loved art who knew that that was the the land of the posh people <laughs> <laughs> I was like absolute fish out of water but um after like a couple of years of like horrible classism and dread I found the alternative theatre company there called Theatre Paradox who did European plays or like basically anyone who you know didn't have an RP accent or didn't have English as their first language joined that theatre group and they did site-specific stuff weird stuff really um and that's where I found my home um always thought I was going to be making films and directing but that takes money and bureaucracy which is neither of the things that I had <laughs> much purchase in um so I ended up in theatre where I could work with everyone and anyone quickly and make art um from there I, I then worked a lot part-time on every possible job like worked at the Edinburgh Castle I worked in bookshops I worked in boots did a lot of all those extra jobs that we're never supposed to talk about but I always try and talk about it to make it normal um yes 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 so yeah. important right so um, important. especially for some reason directors you have to like sit on this weird pedestal power pedestal thing and just can't reveal any vulnerabilities like needing money to survive <laughs> just that little one um I then went to the Royal Conservatoire um because I got a scholarship and applied to a lot of different funding bodies and I got unlike you know like lived for free with my partner at the time like I had I was an absolute chancer but I made it there and I was really young. I was like 20 or 21. I was like the, one of the youngest on the course and lied about my age to all the actors so that they, yeah, so that the older actors can, didn't know <laughs> that they had a whippersnapper directing them. And um, it was amazing. We went to the Globe in London. We we made a new play. Like we did, I mean, now I look back on it and I'm like, I can't believe I was like running this play development with a really established playwright, Pamela Carter. Um, and then 
yeah from there I just at, at the end of the ME my uncle who'd kind of brought me up got really sick so I I couldn't do that thing where you graduate and jump into a job because I was part of like caring for him at the end of his life and again something we don't talk about right um and I so I didn't get that like graduate fire moment I just I like went into like a real moment of family and care and again working for money um but then a few months later I applied to assist Vicky Featherson and John Tiffany at NTS and that was my first pro job and I would rehearse you know I'd go there in the day and then work in the GFT the cinema at night um, and worked there all weekend um, and it was incredible like it absolutely formed my idea of what theatre was it was a play called Inquirer about the Levison Inquiry and it was site specific it was like 40 hours of interviews with anonymous journalists that um, was the one in the building right yeah it yeah, was yeah, in, yeah, the, yeah. in the media yeah. building yeah um, and you, you watched the sun go down sort of as the newspaper industry <laughs> went down with it um, <laughs> and and th- that was just like the app so the you know beginning of it for me and I was so green I didn't know like I didn't know what a DSM was like a deputy stage manager I didn't know all those terms yet but I knew what I wanted to say to an audience and how to say it um and that that was the thing that was prized in that room much more mm. than like I was going to say isn't that the most important thing I mean yeah you'd hope so like, <laughs> well it's like the terminology is just terminology yeah. it's yeah agreed Sorry, just and it's a barrier terminology really do you know what I mean and even now when I find myself using jargon and terminology, I love being checked on it and stopped on it because that's so important to me because that wasn't, I didn't have that way in. And then from there, I just, I, I had like, so if we start there, it's my first job at NTS. 10 years later, I've directed the Panopticon and that's been like the massive journey because NTS, I think started when I was 18. So it's like really formative to me. Like I really care about it as a company and I have like, like everyone does those companies, my you know an intentional relationship to it and I've loved bits of it and then been like what are you doing there you know it's it's a big meaningful thing for me so it, it was huge to come back to it. and in that 10 years I spent like six seven years in London still here um I've directed in Mexico I trained at the Royal Court in new writing um traveled to like the Himalayas to research a play um so I've been all around all all over the world like traveled as an associate director to Australia to the U.S. And I've worked on every possible kind of project, a musical about cancer at the National, um, a fringe show with two women at the Pleasance, um, about a pregnant woman meeting a goddess, like every size and scale. Um, but I think the link in it is usually really strong women or really strong gender non-conforming people, because like, I always people who break binaries, that's at the heart of my work. Um, and work that's like visually pretty bold. And it's always got something to say about, I think it's hard to like, narrate your own life but I think it's always about understanding difference and otherhood and putting it right at the center and making it as big and bold as rich as it can possibly be um and that I think is the link in my last 10 years <laughs> someone else I mean, like no you just always have pink sets you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty bloody fabulous link to have though mm. I think it's just come out of like the I was like a fiery teenager, like really fiery, um, politicised, obsessed with bands that had a political message and a strong aesthetic, absolutely obsessed with like music videos. That was my like form. So I arrived in theatre and, you know, like I don't even think Scottish theatre has a text based route, really. You know what I mean? And then you come in and um, it can be very rarefied air. And I think Mm -hmm. the, the thing through all of that time was to go through the journey of like squashing down all the bits of me that were different and then actually re-releasing them and being like that was the fucking point in the first place you've got to hold on really hard to them 
so it's a hard one thing of like holding on to like all the weird brilliant things about you and that's what I try to like pass on even Mm. I'm speaking like I'm an elder which I love (laughs) Um, but (laughs) that's now the responsibility I feel when I when I see that person in the room that feels like I did which was you know I was silent for like two or three weeks on my first job because I was just so terrified and nervous and unentitled to be there and now I just want to make sure that like every young one that comes through young in career not necessarily age but like feels that they have um you know like me backing them and amplifying them because it absolutely should be there hopefully yay (laughs) (laughs) you need a fan for your right (laughs) Yes, yeah. just anywhere I go, that would be great. Yes. <laughs> when I'm getting nervous, just a little fanfare button. <laughs> and I think it's the for everything you've just said that we are so, so beyond excited that you are going to be co-leading our new writing theatre, our national new writing theatre, because mm. it's like it's it's as many of our institutions need across the country, not just in, in, in Scotland, uh they, they need leadership like what you will bring um mm. uh, which is to represent the voices that are not heard um I'm so excited I'm so excited for you to start I want you to come up here and be here start. <laughs> me too friend me too somehow in northwest London like there's a parallel universe that I'll keep thinking about you know what I mean <laughs> where I'm in Edinburgh and the fringe has happened oh. um yeah it's, it's fascinating about like leadership isn't it because that I think the the pandemic has like opened up that question of like what is leadership and what do we like freelancers isn't it it's really all about the freelancers and how um we the freelancers have um have realized our both our precarity and our power Mm -hmm. there's like we like I say we because I sit in the weird like in between but yeah like that that you know they are the makers of the art like whatever business element is framed around that because it is it comes back to money always doesn't it um the freelancers are at the core of it and that's why I ended up working people like freelancers make theatre work or I I met with the freelance task force a couple of times in different capacities worked with a group called class and corona who are looking particularly at and common who are looking at like class um yeah and and particularly the pandemic's effect on it but structural Mm. change really across the board um because it has like it has to happen where we've had this pause and we've interrogated the fuck out of it all and gone it's not good enough and I sort of like really understand the the like the worry on the institution side um but I actually fully understand the massive act of interrogation and the like being unreasonable like persist being persistent and nasty ironically isn't it but you have to be unreasonable to make change happen it's like this horrible paradoxical truth where it's like no we have to keep demanding better um so yeah that's re- that's really stuck with me through this pandemic there's no there's no excuse anymore you know yeah <laughs> somebody what well, that's it the something you said there chimed in because I was in another session about um creative activism Mm. Um, the other day that was being run by the public theatre and and um, one of the workshops um, was talking about how this work is disorderly this work to completely uh, shift shift things and dismantle structures that are oppressive and rebuild from the ground up or retrofit the architecture of your work or your buildings to be anti-racist and have that anti-racism follow through into the work you do but and it's noisy and it's upsetting and it's 
and it's disorderly it is messy it's that idea of having to go in and upset the apple cart in order to and people aren't going to like that but we see it in our cultural moment it's like you have to you have to kind of raise hell because the, mm. at the moment the structure is stacked against you so you have to be really mm. really intensely nasty and persistent in order to get heard um so I think that's really interesting and I'm, and I could talk about it for hours to be honest. Yeah, same and I think you're right my like and I always have to always check with myself and others who are in with me in this that you're not internalizing it right because it's built for you to make it you you are the problem the individual and what a brilliant system that like makes us stop change by doing that um and I think you're so right on the disorderly thing and like how because at every opportunity like the system's built to retain the status quo and push it back into what it was and the thing that breaks that is disorder and it has been disorderly I've seen some uh, you know mild frustration that like there's the freelance task force but there's also this but also this group oh what are we going to do this oh you know how can we have all that in those many groups and it's like well this is the natural this is the exploding of the structure it is going to have all these groups and absolutely like how brilliant for the moments where we come together and speak collectively but like we we need both we need the disorder and the articulation um yeah upsetting the apple cart is good <laughs> i was just going to ask about your journey to um uh, the Traverse uh, opportunity mm. and how that came about actually because I, I actually don't know how that sort of how you arrived yeah. there <laughs> um the I mean like honestly I applied to the advert like absolutely honestly um which again is a thing you're not supposed to talk about <laughs> like things get advertised and you put in an application and um and then you go through a series of like interviews and they had a really positive um like uh what's the word that intention in the recruitment you know what I mean it was really it like they really wanted to spread it far and wide and they wanted to make a series of recruitment um like connections that then would like open up who would be there like that was really clear in terms of my early conversations with them um and then yeah they, they sort of a really exciting move in terms of getting three directors because it they're sort of slightly I think ahead of the game and that they weren't like this they shouldn't they should not be like the single hierarchical voice that is the like personality stroke guru led thing which often ends up just looking the same everywhere like it's funny how excellence tends to look the same in a lot of people's eyes um and instead it was breaking down that management structure um into being much more of a collective voice and having three really different people who brought different interests and concerns and like life experiences when i you know and you do a job interview you sit in front of a panel right and i and I, you, we had to pitch sort of a vision and all of that, everything you can expect. And my end point was like, I really hope that in 10 years, you know, a young working class um, queer person from Edinburgh walks through there because it's their space and, and they were always entitled to it. And it's where they know their story not only will be heard, but will be told and they might even be telling it. Um, and they were just completely up for that. Like that, they were like, yeah, this is the, this is the path we're going on anyway. And we want we want you to come with us on that path and um so there's a really set of exciting conversations um and I think I'd always known that I wanted to be part of creating the landscape of culture not just making my individual bits of art if that makes sense um because things like you know I was at, like I watched Vicky Featherstone do that um both NTS and at the court and um her vision is so expansive and the things that she puts in place show up over years um, and or like Jilly Roach, who um, now works at Guildhall, um, she ran a collective called Team Effort, 
that I was part of in Glasgow and it was all about like how do you shape individual artist development to each person uh you know out of these like offices with all these visual artists and carpenters in the south side of Glasgow you know it was like a little mini Berlin on Vicky Road um and that and working with her I was like oh yeah I love this like I love um sending artists on a journey and thus like change you essentially change the world you recalibrate a little bit so all of that was in my mind when I, I applied to be like take on a leadership role in that way also just I love Scotland and I love like as someone who's against nationhood that's quite a weird thing to say but I just love the like the culture of it um and I left it because I had like I I think the directing career ladder has like some serious problematic gaps in Scotland and I had an offer and I'd always wanted to go to London but I'd always come back to work um and I'm so conscious of Scotland's like particular artistic setup, the way that live art and theatre isn't isn't siloed off or the spoken word feeds in. Um, our, our musicians and sound designers are like pretty, pretty exceptional. So I feel like there's all this like kindling there that's like goes on fire occasionally. And I just want to come and like set it all on fire. <laughs> so it all goes. Um, and yeah, there's just I can I just have a vision for like a, a thrilling future that's ahead, you know. Or yeah, fingers crossed for it anyway. So the traveler basically Meg got on board with all of that and all of the values I held um, matched really closely with that team. So that's kind of how that happened. Um, yeah, and it's the same even like COVID with COVID, the work that we've been trying to do. And like we've, we've had, you know, they've started a digital venue called Trav3, adding on to Trav1 and 2. Um, and the work in there is already kind of showing that it was they had a brilliant journey through, especially the last couple of years in terms of the shows and what they were saying. And I think Trav3 is kind of crystallizing that and in the best version of that, taking it wider to much more audiences, much more international. Um, so that's the hopeful version of having had to close the building. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really hope that to just um, take I, I just think Scottish theatre could sit not only more nationally, like it can speak to we've got a big like city country divide I think and I've really been looking to like Life Arts Centre and how brilliant they are I just love them oh my god amazing Charlotte is incredible um and I would just want to connect them as much as possible as someone in the you know I'm such a lowlander <laughs> and I'm a real city kid you know and I just want to speak to them as much as possible but equally like you mentioned the public I feel like that's a great bedfellow isn't it you know like our international reach could also we can keep capitalizing on that we can keep using our digital venue to to talk to that so yeah it's like talk to edinburgh talk to scotland and talk to the world and that's the three layers of my thinking with the trav that's a right ramble <laughs> it's so great yeah, yeah. It's so exciting to hear and and to know that you're speaking this and it's being heard by like big like action mm. theater that's got that potential to really make that change it's it's so exciting and I love the um I feel like that's been a really interesting thing to come out of like everything that's happening with COVID for me it has been like the processing of there are these huge huge problems in global society mm. and it can feel really overwhelming yeah don't mind my cat just I'm obsessed <laughs> who can't visually see this we just had an exit from the bald cat <laughs> up until now sleeping comfortably um, but yeah it's that kind of you can feel really overwhelmed by what's happening mm. across the world and then 
like even just in the UK and then even just in Scotland and even just in our like cities it's so overwhelming but I think what what is really exciting to hear you talking about and what I've been kind of like thinking about is we can affect change mm. that seems like a really small thing but actually creates massive waves mm through the ripple effect so even just something like smiling at someone you don't know how that's going to affect and that, that sounds really trite but mm-hmm. it is just setting off these little um it, it's like the sliding doors that the butterfly effect just setting this all off and it will affect a bigger change ultimately because it's being done with the right intentions and and therefore energy dispersal this is it now, now <laughs> The real point we are manifesting the future by creating these like little changes in our everyday and I, I couldn't agree more because that's why I'm always like the process is the product right yes the, like you can't you can make like the most fucking politically on point show ever but if your process hasn't held the people who've made it like it's it's not right and I think that's exactly that like um, I, at one point in lockdown, I was like, what is the point of life, you know? Um, but by that point, I'd made um, a piece with Headlong for their series that went on the BBC called Unprecedented. And that was with Matilda Binney, and, um, who's a longtime collaborator and is amazing. And the lead in that was this actress called Saida Ahmed, who is um, first and foremost, a phenomenal actress, like phenomenal. Um, and is also a young black Muslim woman who's a wheelchair user. And... And it's just like me and my partner watching it on on the telly and the actual TV, you know what I mean? And I had this moment where I was like, you can't, like you said, oh, it sounds trite, but it's like, no, you're, you're so right. We can't underestimate that like for 10 minutes, that woman was on national TV and there's people who don't see or speak or consider what her humanity is. And we had a moment to speak to the nation about exactly what her humanity is. And she's funny and she's a brilliant actor. Um, and I think you're right. That's That's a little... That's a little ripple shift that um, you can lose sight of what it means, but yeah, we should try and hold on to it and like make it even louder. So I couldn't agree more. Energy dispersal. <laughs> I am crying. Look, <laughs> no. I just told you, give me it. <laughs> Elaine, I can't like reach it's through and hug like, you. <laughs> but just like because it's just so it's so can't even speak now every either. episode Elaine every episode every <laughs> episode it's because we just have amazing humans who come and speak and inspire um and it's a like you said that moment of oh god I'm totally emotional <laughs> uh of people not seeing um her humanity and mm. you and her, her and the team got that there and that's from all these little things that we're doing and I, when I say we I mean all of us as yeah. a are doing and how amazing and important it is but also that can't be the end because it shouldn't like I shouldn't be crying about this Mm. in that sense of it should just be there Mm. but at least we've got that now so now we need to just am I making sense am I just like yeah I mean I'm on I'm on like a mass recruiting mission you know what I mean yeah that's that's what I want and like it's hard, isn't it? Every is is like I really, really hear you, Michelle. Like it's overwhelming. Um, but I'm I'm holding on to every shift that happens, like and every conversation that's so difficult and it's discomforting, and it's hard. But yeah, it there. I don't know. 
shifts are occurring. Like I've had conversations with white male peers where like really bluntly, we've both, I've stepped back from a job, not the Traverse one, obviously another one where I was like, like I don't need this and you could hire someone that would shift the landscape you know what I mean and they put in their job applications you know the advert was like we really want a person of color a you know person with disability and I was like then do it I'm stepping back so there's space for that um and it's like you know I've speaking to like my white male peers about what it means to do that and how like the you your commitment to the bigger project over your singular moment is going to make the real change and like really mercenary it'll be better like it will be better for you too like the, the world will be better and richer and more empathetic and yeah so, yeah it's it's so overwhelming but with every step um forward it does count it feels like it doesn't because the system is built to make you think that but like it really really absolutely does even like um yeah I was just thinking there particularly about like like the trans community at the moment and the particular pressure there under and how like fucking hideous it is and and I have to go back to like going you know at a non-binary actor in Little Miss Burden and everyone looked at Little Miss Burden which is the show that Matilda and I did of, about her biography um and they saw that Osaida was the lead so they were like amazing all black cast um and you know the lead is a wheelchair user but we also had a non-binary actor in there and I just kind of go look like you can have all of it <laughs> like you, you can have yeah. all of it at the same time like it's because that's actually what the world looks like and that's actually mm -hmm. what my circle of friends and family and people I care about look like so um why the hell should culture be anything different from that you know every hard conversation is having a ripple effect that's why that's what I'm hoping to believe in anyway that's I guess for the night Elaine yeah. <laughs> thanks <laughs> um yeah I mean Louise is going to sit because I can see her mouth moving but yeah, I was like uh, no I just wanted to say like because I was in the Scottish casting workshop yes I saw yeah. you yeah yeah and um I said this to you in the email I haven't felt as inspired about Scottish theatre before mm. never mind Covid like at all than I have that day listening to you I was so excited for what you're going to bring to which I believe we desperately need in Scotland because mm. there there is lots of us at the door who are wanting that change mm. and a lot of and I also have to I'm going to be fair to some people as well I think there are people who are willing to to step back and make that space mm. um and who are trying as well but I just yeah um I have to just say that so that everybody can hear it because I was so inspired by that and the amount of people that I knew that were in that were literally sending me so many messages oh my fucking god <laughs> yes 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 oh, like it was man. just like so many I was getting so many messages of I love her oh <laughs> it was just like everybody was so thankful for that mm. so I just want you to know that that's so kind of you that is so kind to say. I'm just really blunt. <laughs> I love. Even in that, I was like, I've got to speak bluntly. It's all I can do. You know what I mean? But, it, but it's authentic though, and it's truthful. And everybody, and look, that reaction in that room was what? I think there was like 40 odd people in that Zoom chat. And everyone that I know of, and I think probably everybody else was feeling the exact same. Mm. So it's when we're truthful and we're honest and we're yeah. authentic and we're open and we're not playing the BS game and covering, you know, all of that shit. And um, people 
people react to that in a so such a much deeper way and actually conversations are far more open and far more encouraging and far more challenging mm-hmm. that make us question our own where we are in our own um like you'd said something about that day about making sure that we're always aware of our own a uh, all our own systemic stuff that goes on so we're checking ourselves totally and I was just like it's such a simple phrase and people say it but are you actually doing it and the way you said it, I was like I know you're actually doing it mm. I'm doing it I mean yeah I have to do it I can't like as in I morally have to like I couldn't I wouldn't be doing this if I couldn't and I just want to make it easier for everyone to do that because it's hard it's really hard like um but it's fucking worth it and like you know like my partner holds me to account like the my my brother who's a, a phenomenal feminist like the people in my life um we hold each other to account because we we share that value and I do that in my workspaces too you know and I, I find that like naming the thing is a big power like name what's happening here because we, we live in a culture right now of like it's gone beyond like Orwellian but the level of like double speak is just incredible um I was thinking about that even with the word diversity the other day and I was like what like digging into that what is that euphemism for and what it what it should be called is anti-white supremacy and so whenever I've had a meeting about we need to diversify what I've, what I've been saying is yeah we need to get rid of the white supremacy in this <laughs> like because diversity is kind of starting can in the wrong context be used as a comfortable word for white people to talk about white supremacy um and that's the kind of thing I try to clue into where I'm like cut through cut through your own bullshit because then you can cut through other folks as well and I always try and do it with grace and with empathy um because we've all we you know we all live in the system right like we're all brought up under patriarchy we've all been brought up under white supremacy but we all totally have the power to shift our thinking and cut through it and take I think you know that they're like pragmatic steps like actual tangible things that can shift that and that's things like making sure your language isn't just you know like secretly coded with a lot of shit that you haven't really thought about or 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 work out like why do what's why do I go towards this actor and not that one when I'm auditioning because something else is at play there so like really query it query what the image of the world you're making is when you put a cast together I'm just really thinking about casting at the moment um because I did a workshop last night on access and just Matilda made this great point where like if you don't something like 20 percent of working adults are are disabled um in the UK and you suddenly go okay if I've got a cast of five then one person should have a disability um and you go and if you don't have that it's not that you're like you know you just happen not to have one it didn't make sense for the story it's actually that you're actively erasing so always being conscious what the the almost the the meaning and the dramaturgy weirdly of like what each of your statements are and what each of your choices are when you're putting something out there um but I had to learn we all have to fucking learn you know what I mean there's no shame in it there's no shame like I I moved to London in 2013 and I did a project called the Peckham soap opera where like the residents of Peckham told their stories then we turned it into a nightly episode that live streamed um and my god it, it was divine like it was a divine project to meet London with I met the most diverse community I fell in love with South London um they loved that I was Scottish because you know um I was kind of other in in a, in a and I was new so I was kind of other with them in a strange way but absolutely that is like where I learned I was white like I was like ah right okay my whiteness means something here I walk into the room and I'm a white person what does that mean read more about it learned more about it listen to people who knew much better than me so we just can't 
you know take away that space for learning um through shame or through like yeah t- like fear or squid I always call it the squid when you're like oh you know <laughs> like I don't know what how to refer to that person like usually their name you know um <laughs> is that squidginess if you can push through that um yeah there's there's something better on the other side and I, I think you know it's probably the same as like all the people in this room like I've I've been through shit like I've been I've had a life and I've also in theatre felt prejudice felt oppression felt you know like having to justify myself three times more than my male peers you know uh asking like a male artistic director to make a point for me because it was the only way that I was going to get what I needed you know what a a depressing compromised moment as someone who's lived my life but it was for the greater good you know so I've got I've seen those things I've seen what it means to feel small I've seen what it means to um have your identity invalidated um or assumed or any of those things so I have to work with the empathy of someone who's lived all of those versions and all of those lives I feel <laughs> just like that that's it there yeah it's, yeah. yeah I think um yeah just thinking about how we are all born into established white supremacist and patriarchal structures it's coded into our DNA at this point we cannot escape it and part of this work is like you say you have to the squidge like you like you said Debbie it's that it's like we all have it no matter how hard we work or good intentions when we have come from a certain specific place of privilege that regardless of that sitting on a spectrum that's the coding that's the societal coding and we have to work really hard at undoing it and it, it's it's I think it's a I think it's a life's work actually at this point mm-hmm. um so yeah I I embrace the squidge I think we should get badges that say embrace the squidge embrace the squidge 100 I'm you loving just, it we're now we're like getting into a series of like people <laughs> on the podcast coming up with phrases for our badges Misha get on it babes I'm in the badges. <laughs> that's it I will do it I'll add four badges to do list alongside yeah. first a uh, embrace the squidge Yes. Because, like, I think if you feel the squidge, then you know. So it's, yeah. it's there's, there's something. It's like a it's a flag. It's a thing that's telling you. It's communicating to you. Why do you feel the squidge? Mm. Right. That's what you need to interrogate. And so the the squidge can be a good thing. It's, it's such a good thing. It's yeah. a signal. It's a signal. Yeah. I think about that with like even something like jealousy. Like it's a signal. What is it? You mm. know, what is it telling you? And the squidge is so useful. And like I was raised Catholic, and so I. Uh, you know obviously very lapsed but was like <laughs> it was like, like very very lapsed but like what a great like it's such a useful thing to to have come through a really systemic thing like the catholic church and have unpicked all of those beliefs that were taught to you and that's kind of like given me that and how I approach stuff I'm like nothing I'm not assuming anything is the right way and um, you know the really dangerous sentence of like well this is how it's always been done that is the biggest red flag for me mm-hmm. I'm like and <laughs> your point as caller <laughs> right like and what came of that friends let me know because yeah um yeah. I'd love to ask you what is your hopes for Scottish theatre like what do you hope for oh oh gosh oh god <laughs> we may have to cut this a uh, very long pause while we all think <laughs> uh, I love that you asked us a question nobody I ever know. asked us a question actually I want to know um Sorry. I think that my hope for Scottish theatre is that I see more stories of people that I haven't seen before. Yeah. Because 
And there are, I mean, as an actor, there's that part of me as well that's like, and this is in no way, shape or form to offend anybody within the industry, but I'm sick of seeing the same faces. As an audience member, I'm sick of seeing the same faces. As an actor, I'm sick of seeing the same faces. However, seeing all of that, I would much rather see stories and hear stories from people that I haven't heard before because if we don't add that to our society on a bigger scale, we are losing so much of where our culture is changing and moving. And um, I don't really want to be part of something that isn't doing that. Mm-hmm. And that's a big thing to have come to the realization of when you know like I've, this has been my whole life since I was three and I've been out for 17 years and I'm still fucking plugging away waiting for the you know that whole moment but actually now I'm a bit like I want to see something different than what I've been seeing mm-hmm. that's um, me <laughs> I mean that's a phenomenal answer isn't it yeah. um and uh, that is my whole like life right now is going how like how do we get to that difference because it's so possible it's just it's so ready and I have to say this as well as I've just said that there's that whole part of me inside that's like fuck Elaine you might never work again Mm -hmm. like that whole thing of going but actually the bigger picture as you said is Mm -hmm. it makes it better for all of us oh totally It, it gives us a um I'm trying to think I don't know why uh, Carol King's tapestry has just jumped into my head (laughs) and I'm just like I just what I that's what I want because that's Mm -hmm. what isn't that what we all want like I just I want to see people's humanity and I want to see people's stories and I want to hear their life yeah and you're in that picture that's the thing like it's built to make you think you'd be taken out of that picture right but it's like fuck that you're in that tapestry you know what I mean yeah so that's so that's me <laughs> my initial reaction and I don't know if this is bad but take it in the spirit in which it's meant was burn it to the ground but I meant that uh, I've thought that in a positive way yeah yeah and that I mean is like we we just need to change and it's everything that Elaine said but I suppose if I was to distill it into one succinct thought is what I'd really like is for the fear to be removed mm. um um I think and I, and I mean that across different sort of layers, like the fear of people saying what they, like like when Elaine was talking about everybody messaging her when they were in that casting workshop with you, going, oh, yes, yes. It's like you were saying what people were desperately wanting to say, and, mm. and but they don't feel like they, they had no uh, sort of framework of, or they felt anyway, they didn't have any sort of framework of support or protection for them if they did say it, because there's this fear, this whatever that, you know, however it manifests, whether it's you never work again or whether it's, you know, the institutional or organisational feed of taking risks, um, because at the moment, diversity with bunny rabbit ears on either side, um, in some ways is, is still viewed as a risk. And I think, yes. yeah. Um, it's a great point, Lou, and it's yeah. what we talked about at Hack the Patriarchy, and it's lovely mm-hmm. that, like, you know, that we can kind of bring it back. But that fear is so ingrained in us and again that's such a systemic patriarchal thing isn't it that mm-hmm. if we stay in our fear the status quo continues and nothing changes yeah and the totally. power dynamic is interested in or not interested in it's reliant on you staying afraid mm-hmm. and I think if we remove that we have a rich and empathetic place for everyone to participate and be heard um so yeah, remove the fear, embrace the squidge, 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Much better than like stay alert, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Can we get let's send that to Nicola so she can have it on Monday right across? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Little thing. Yes. Not Bojo. Not Bojo. No, nah. Fuck, nah. that guy. <laughs> fuck, fuck that guy. Fuck that guy. <laughs> I can. Yeah. But, yeah. Anyway, sorry. I could get what, what my Misha go. Sorry, darling. I, you know, it's really interesting because I kind of sit with a foot in the film and TV camp and the theatre camp. Mm. So asking that, it, it's an interesting. I'm kind of I'm listening to all of you and thinking about it. Really, it's it's having Scotland on the world map so that people can see. How fucking talented our filmmakers, our technicians, our designers, our performers, how how much fucking talent there is. And it's exactly what you said, Debbie, about setting it on fire and letting it burn so people can see it. And I kind of feel like that covers all of, mm. all of this. It's about removing the fear so that we can take the risks. Because if we take the risks, people will see that. Mm-hmm. And we are then the front runners. And we are the people who are like crashing through with these amazing stories because Scotland has got such a hugely diverse community we have yeah and we have got so many beautiful stories to tell and so many fucking brilliant people to be the conduits of those stories and to to make those stories really powerful and I just would like that to happen and I I feel similarly to you Debbie in that I've got that vision mm. and, I want, and, I, and I want to encourage others that that vision is possible and, and I want people to see like just like with little things in like short films, with music mm-hmm. videos, with theatre, with like performances in the street, performances in pubs, poetry, Instagram videos, TikToks, people mm-hmm. can see how funny and brilliant and interesting the people of Scotland are. So let's just keep building on that and absolutely like tear this tear this shit apart yep I could not agree more I'm so excited to see like I I'm edging into more filmmaking and TV because I'm like hyper visual so it's always gonna end up there I think but I'm so excited to see that contemporary Scottish um like rise of a generation of talent like not only in theatre but beyond and like you know some of our filmmakers that have made it through like the Lynn Ramsey's of the world are just exceptional and I'm I'm thinking now of like um Moyo Akande um and her and her sister's film and how incredible it is and like our poets like Courtney um Stoddart oh my god like incredible Scottish Caribbean poet like Google her right phenomenal like Google her right now she is like life-changingly good um yeah and just like how exceptional someone like Hannah Lavery is or like yeah I mean I just want to see yeah all those people explode and I think you're totally right we're such a fascinating small country you know in the cold at the top of Britain um and yeah man like our diaspora is so brilliant too like wouldn't it be phenomenal if our contemporary vision was put out there because it is like a bold empathetic strange complicated fraught brilliant thing yeah and more scottish women on film and tv right like yeah. fucking yeah. hell what the fuck i mean yeah that in itself was a whole i'm sure you probably saw the twitter thing yeah i mean it, it, the fact that that conversation had to be started 
by a male as well I mean thanks Andrew for starting the conversation it's absolutely important but you know the fact that why were Scottish women not being cast to play Scottish wives next to Scottish husbands but they were employing English women and that's nothing against them at all but it's just the talent is there I think my favorite part of that whole story though is and I'm sure I've said this already is um on a different episode is that a Greg McHugh got asked to go on the radio show to talk about it. And Greg was like, um, I'm a white man. So yeah, like, don't know why you're asking me. Maybe ask one of the many Scottish actresses who are not getting employed. Do you know what? I'm, I think Scotland still doesn't value the stories of women. Like uh, we, we've got like an ingrained and insidious. In it's the John Knox. It's the effect. John Knox, man. It's like, it's yeah. still here. And like, yeah. It, we don't it's, it's like it doesn't have cultural currency it's like there's nothing exciting going on in women's lives they're not they're not in the spheres of like power that we want to see stuff about in Scotland which is total bullshit but it's still there um and how you know like that's why the panopticon was great because it put like a woman at the center who was wild and brilliant and you're just like they are there <laughs> fucking hell like how how are we that's sometimes where in the like the way that you want to shake a family member like I just want to like get hold of Scotland and shake it hard and go like yeah the, we've, we've still got some like pretty high prizing of masculinity like we love to crown, yeah. we love to crown men you know what I mean still yeah. now yeah we, we absolutely do I mean you look at it even just in film and telly you look at all the men that you can think of Scottish men who are really successful mm-hmm. there's lists of them mm-hmm. And then when you think about women you can maybe only think about one or two that that, that a lot of people would know Mm-hmm. Um, and that in itself and also something else that you were talking about earlier and Misha brought it up and it gives me hope especially when I think about how things are changing because Scotland has this idea again ingrained in us that we're not good enough yeah the tall poppy syndrome thing yeah totally and then there's also that thing of we can be really bad when somebody is successful at just remember where you came from yeah I know I, I, it's like this thing in Scotland where it's like I don't want to be wanky but and and as I, as I was like coming up through the arts I was like no nah, I want to be like really wanky <laughs> like fuck yous like how dare you say I'm pretentious I'm gonna make the weirdest like high art bullshit you know because <laughs> why shouldn't I too you know yeah. like it's the thing of like um yeah how we can't knock ourselves back at any opportunity because everyone else will I remember when I started work at the Royal Court I had this like very you know my family are very west coast even though I was brought up in Edinburgh and I sort of very self-deprecating sense of humor so I was constantly putting myself down because that's like how you speak to each other isn't it um no <laughs> not in London it isn't and everyone was like wow Debbie's like really depressed and low confidence and you know and like came and had a talk with me about it and I was just like oh no these are just like not reading my, my form I mean you know like I thought it was pretty decent you know <laughs> like I've got a really good job I was getting paid for it I had a desk um so it's that thing where I yeah I definitely stopped self-deprecating so much but actually like you know it's something to watch isn't it how do you keep mm-hmm. that humor and that like I love the fact that we're not jumped up wankers but as a broad as a broad statement um, but yeah, we also have to walk out boldly and and like stand in our two shoes and not be that little like frustrated knot of a country that's like always smaller than England and it's always not England, right? We're not not England, we're Scotland. We've got to be like this this other thing. Um, it's it's finding the beauty in that, isn't it? And the power in that of being 
of being that and I think like what Misha was saying mm. and I think are you like and I say younger generation because obviously you are younger than me Mish. um I, I do you give me such hope though yeah mm-hmm. I see a shift in your generation and below that it, I don't think is in my like I can say in my generation as a whole I think there's quite a few of us that are like that mm. but as a whole like your generation really excites me that mm. a shift is coming I really hope so this is kind of like taking it back a, a, a small step now but it is the difference between having a chip on your shoulder and letting that like weigh you down mm. and using something that's pissed you off to like light a flame under your arse and like use it to fight and like knock other people's like chips off their shoulders it's that kind of thing for me of like we we can sometimes get caught up in like holding ourselves down yeah okay do you know um uh dbcpr he's a writer who what's his massive book i can't remember his massive book but he uh, come on brain work but he wrote a book called release the bats um, like writing your way out of it and it's about like being a writer but he always says this thing about everything is rocket fuel so like you know uh, it, a bit of pain comes to you it's rocket fuel a bit of prejudice comes to you it's rocket fuel like it's all it's that's the best thing about in any way being an artist and whatever your form is right it's all like turn you can turn it into something else as you also try and make the world better those two things can stand side by side and those become your superpowers oh yeah massively and it, it's hard though it's hard because like it, it's cost you right and there's trauma involved and there's you know there's all that stuff but absolutely you have to like the thing that you that you are trying to squash because the world is 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 absolutely the superpower even as simple like for just my personal life like um as someone with a disability who like very much kept silent about it because of the ableism of the industry it's now become like a core way in how i work it's become something that i'm public about it's become um a passion it's become a, a way of connected to so many fascinating brilliant people it's become a lens through which I see the world and it's in all my art so and absolutely like squashed that down kept away from it didn't put the word disabled anywhere near me um and now it's something brilliant and I just like I just want to like speak to every person be like what's that thing for you like what is it what's the thing that you're afraid to say because it's definitely the root of the thing that's going to be like the loudest most brilliant thing about you you know Yes. That's all. I just, yes. Just so much yes. <laughs> and so it be. <laughs> and so it be. And so be. I am officially in love with you. I'll take it. I hope that everyone is like listening to this podcast feels as electrified as I do. Because personally, I want to go and like run a few laps around the block and like. <laughs> couple trees just to be like look at my fucking angry like female passion power and sing I probably but you were going to say pussy power just because you're looking <laughs> and I was like oh my pussy power <laughs> yeah I just I I feel so energized and electrified by this and um, mm-hmm. so I hope that everyone else listening feels the same because what an amazing hour I know back at you back at you all I want to hear is your thoughts on change and that that's like I've taken notes I hope that was okay because like (laughs) that that's all like that is all I ever do want to do is like hear that and make it all happen you know so um it's been a two-way running laps around the street (laughs) event (laughs) so I'm gonna cry (laughs) 
Um, oh my god! Again, can't hug you. I'm just have to do this like a weird Zoom hug that's occurring. I'm sure you can imagine it if you can't see. Oh dear! <laughs> it's, it's what everybody wants to do. Like yeah. you're in lockdown, it's like you see the people that you want to see, like that you you love, oh. and you just want to hug them. I know. It's made yeah. me. Re- I mean, I always knew I was a very tactile person, but it's made me realize. How yeah. I am it's like, like and I'm super lucky that I have somebody in the house yeah no same right right I mean he is still here which is good yeah yeah <laughs> I haven't killed him yet that is the great lockdown test <laughs> yeah it really is it really is but um yeah I just I miss hugging other people yeah, yeah, it's going to be real inappropriate. Like, I'm probably going to get in trouble when we're allowed to be back in rooms with people because it's just like, Louise, that's, stop. Like, <laughs> stop stroking my hair. Yeah, you no. need to stop. Yeah. <laughs> Boundaries, Louise. Remember, remember that's important to you. <laughs> that's why I'm sitting with this cat because I knew oh. that I was needing that little bit of, like, like, love and, like, hug. I'm like, my sister's next door, but it's not the same. <laughs> It is good that um, demons from the hell dimension can be that loving and huggable. Like, it is, it is good. Because it's not a cat. It's an intense cat. It's an intense cat. But I like it as a statement, you know. It's a political statement, so... Yeah, it really, it, it really is. Um, Debbie, you probably know what question we're going to ask you at the end, but I kind of feel like the entire episode is going to be the answer to this question. <laughs> Far back. What does persistent and nasty mean to you um it means yeah totally the whole episode you're, you're bang on um it means an un, an unwavering commitment no matter how hard it is to changing things for the better because you know that you can and because we've all got each other's backs to do it um so I'm with you and I'm going to be a fucking hard ass and otherwise known as persistent and nasty <laughs> I mean, oh my God, um, <laughs> love for you has grown again. <laughs> if you were in Scotland, I might be stalking you. <laughs> <laughs> stalking and boundaries, 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 <laughs> those things that you forgot about. Anyway, um, oh my God. I don't, does anybody have anything else to say? I mean, honestly. Then I can't do anything right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could talk to you for hours more, Debbie. I think, to be honest, I think genuinely, also we should. Like, I know your podcast is going to finish, but like, <laughs> but let's a bit let's talk more. That's all I'd yeah. want to leave on. Yes, please. Yes, yes please. <laughs> it's it's, it's oh. truly my privilege to hear it. So thank you. Thank you, and thank, thank you, you for being here. Yeah, thank you everyone for listening to this uh, kick-ass episode. And until next time, stay, stay nasty. nasty. So excited. <laughs>